hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers. And if you see us next month in San Diego, you could even get it signed. Yeah. Hey, and while we're talking books, I've had a lot of questions lately about people wanting to get a hold of a copy of Experimental Brewing. It is unfortunately out of print, but it is still available as an ebook. So uh, if you go to Amazon, you should be able to find an ebook of experimental brewing there and see that gorgeous picture of the goat drinking beer. And Denny will even sign your Kindle for you. <laughs> yeah, really, man. Come on, I'll sign your phone, I'll sign whatever you got. Well, I, wait, I don't mean that. <laughs> yeah, that could get dangerous. Now, yeah. between the two of us, we have over 50 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer, strange ideas, and sessionable beers. And I'm the guy known for questioning the conventional wisdom and telling you you're working too hard. Yeah. All right. And on today's episode, well, earlier this month was the Southern California Homebrewers Festival, or as we like to say down here, the SCHF. Scuff. Yep, exactly. Now, the SCHF has been going on for years and years and years. I think, what, I, I want to think the first one was like 1992, so it's been a while. I, I, yeah, I think he said, Andy said 30 years or something. Yeah, and so 30 years of homebrewers getting together and celebrating in the woods of Southern California. This year, nearly 40 homebrew clubs gathered around the horseshoe at Vale Lake in Temecula just to go and celebrate the idea of making homebrew and having fun with it. And so this episode is going to be all about the various audios that I caught around the, the, the whole party grounds. And in line with last week's show, Disasters, uh, the reason there isn't more audio is because I forgot to pack extra batteries. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to my own rules. That's right. <laughs> so I'm a dummy. But we got enough good content here. You're going to hear from Andy Carter, Andy Gamlin, and our good pal Julia Hertz from the AHA. But before we do any of that stuff... Please listen to this message from the people who make the show possible. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO, or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflux mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.
Thanks for sticking around and thanks for helping with the podcast. We're going to have some announcements before we kick into the SCHF stuff. Yeah, and as I just alluded to, if you didn't catch the last episode of the show, it was all about disasters, you know, all the stupid things we do in the brew house, and the best ways for us to try and prevent them from happening again, because once again, the best way to deal with a disaster is to not let it happen. But it's going to happen, so we also talked about ways to recover from your mistakes slash disasters. <laughs> your incidents. <laughs> your incidents, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So go ahead and listen to that. It's The Brew Files, all about disasters. So, and go and just enjoy it. And then, speaking of not a disaster, we hope. <laughs> yeah. Homebrew Con is coming up in San Diego from June 22nd to 24th at the Town and Country Resort. I love that place. It's a great place to hang out. And recently renovated. Yeah, recently renovated, although I didn't think it was too bad before, but I didn't have one of the other rooms. Anyway, we're going to be giving a seminar there on modern hop techniques in West Coast IPA, basically how to take some of this uh, new stuff that's been used for hazies a lot and uh, use it to make a killer West Coast clear crisp IPA. Don't let all those hazy peoples have all the fun. That's right. So if if you're there, please come by and see us. And you know what? We're even going to have beer there. We've gotten together with Kelsey McNair at North Park Beer Company to make a very special beer that exemplifies some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So if you come to our session, our seminar, you'll be able to try that beer. And it's going to be available at some other places, too, around the trade show. Yeah, this is going to be a rather fun project, and by the time you hear this episode, it will already have been brewed, and I will have an interview with Kelsey that day. So you can hear all about the adventures and misadventures and debates that we had. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, at any rate, I hope you make it to HomebrewCon. Uh, if you can, be sure to come by and see us, and be sure to come to our seminar and try that beer. Absolutely. And don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA or BYO links on the website and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It's called Best Friends. It's a great organization that uh, takes pets from shelters where they will likely be euthanized and gets them adopted, gets them fostered, moved to other shelters. You know, it's taking care of our little furry buddies. Send us a few bucks and we'll send it along to Best Friends. And speaking of saving our furry friends. Yeah, we want to let you know that thanks to all you people out there, we contributed $1,325 to our last charity, the Pongo Fund, which is a food bank for people who need help feeding their pets. So thank you so, so much for helping us help them out. And please keep those contributions coming in and we will pass them on. Gotta feed the animals. Or something like that. Yep. All right, now it's time to get into the SCHF. When we come back, we'll be hearing Drew talk to Andy Carter about the history of the Southern California Homebrewers Festival and exactly what's going to be going on there. Stick around. (laughs) 
Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in home brewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves workflow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. Hey, we're at part one of this three-part interview. Drew's talking to Andy Carter. Uh, give us an intro here, Drew. Yeah, so just for the background, as Andy's going to mention, this festival has been going on for 30-ish, 30-plus-ish years, depending upon how you want to count it. And Andy recently kind of stepped up, I think, in the last five years to really sort of help revitalize some of the management of everything. And he's the current treasurer of the California Homebrewers Association, which is the organization that puts on the SCHF. Uh, but previously the president, and he's really super, super passionate about this. He's, of course, also super passionate about homebrewing since he's one of the contributors over at Brewlosophy and does a lot of talking. So Andy is also going to be, by the way, the guy giving the one of the keynotes at San Diego's HomebrewCon. Ooh, except they're not calling them keynotes anymore. Yeah, whatever, the equivalent of, here, everybody, shut up and listen to this speech. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so... Sit back and, and listen. Andy's got some things to say about SCHF and just about why we do this madness. Hey, Andy. Hey, Drew. What's up? <laughs> it's Southern California Homebrewers Festival time. It is. It's uh, May the 6th. May the, uh, four, May the 4th be with you. Uh, the range of the 5th. That was I heard that one recently. Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, so it's the 6th. Yeah, we're out at uh, Lake uh, Vale Lake, KOA. Not much of a lake. Well, now maybe it rained. I haven't looked. Yeah. Well, I, you know, all the years I've been here, I don't even know which direction that the way. lake is. All right, that way. Yeah, <laughs> that so way. listeners, go that way. Let's go that way. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, 40 Summit Homebrew Clubs, about 1,200 people. 
Uh, and you know, usually it's already 80 degrees and I'm very sweaty, but it's a cool 60-something and the sun's out. Honestly, I don't think the weather could have gotten better. Uh, it, well, earlier this week it felt like, uh, wait, are we dodging rain? Is the yeah. rain coming? Yeah. Which, for those who are not in Southern California, is highly unusual. Yeah, so it's been raining uh, for many months and then the clouds parted and then fest started, so... Well, and if I understand correctly, this year we're actually up in attendance now? Like yes, we back? raised up a little bit. So for those at home, you know, you're probably an avid home brewer if you're listening to this podcast. And for the last few years, it's been going down a bit, but we're finally, finally stabilizing. So in the heyday, the real wild years, uh, like the, the 12, 13, 40, it was like 15, 17, 1800 people. Oh, those aren't even the, the wild years. Oh, the wild <laughs> years. Oh, that was like 08, 09? Yeah, the, the wild, no, the wild years are even earlier than that when there was at Skinner and they oh, sold like, tickets to anybody who Yeah, went to so those are the shop. illegal years for yeah. the ABC officers listening. Those are the years that we don't talk about. These yeah. are the now legal fest years where we sell tickets, pre sale tickets, and you're not allowed to buy anything at the gates. So. Yeah. And for people who think that he's joking about that, no, I was working the ticket booth earlier today. <laughs> you're not allowed to buy a ticket today. Yeah, unfortunately, you have to be very cool because guess whose name's on the license? It's mine. Name. Well, you don't want to be sued? I would rather not be sued. No, that would be no. Though I have insurance for that, I would rather not be sued. <laughs> well, so how long? I mean, like I said, we, we are starting just now. Yes, the, the just started. Yeah, we got We're thirty we, minutes in. Yeah, we got our first talk going behind us, and people are starting to pour beer. But how long have you been working on the fest? Uh, uh, in total, I've been on the board since 2015. How long have you been working on this year's fest? Uh, since the last fest ended. <laughs> so we tend to take it, you know, every year. We'll after we finish, we rec- take our notes. We've gotten really good at like breaking all that stuff down. So I think we have a well-oiled machine. Uh, but you know, probably at the end of a year, we'll start talking about okay, who are we inviting to talk, making sure the clubs, because we want the clubs. Really, this is all about the clubs. We want them in fold- folded in immediately. So who's going to pour? Make sure you're pouring, because you don't charge any club to pour. Your ticket, pay, your ticket or registration pays for the booth to be here. Um, so just want to make sure the clubs are taken care of. They're really first and foremost if if the clubs don't show up there's no beer so 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 we have to make sure that they're happy and so which we've hit you know i think over the years we've gone back and forth what i've noticed maybe you can comment on this true for club wise is like what i've seen is there's more clubs and they're smaller clubs because they're getting more localized the information has been democratized and delegated onto the internet so well that you don't need massive clubs anymore to learn very clubs can become very regionalized or specific or, or, or topic specific like a sour only club yep. or serios, like a, a certain type of you know group of people that want to have their own club, that kind of thing, that's focused on that. So. Yeah, exactly. A very focused sort of thing. Exactly. Well, and I, I noticed, so I think what we've got about 40 homebrew clubs pouring? Yeah, about 40, yeah. So about 40 homebrew clubs pouring, and as I was walking around, I was like, going, okay, yeah, I know those names, I know those names, I recognize those faces. I have no clue where you people are from. What exactly. the? <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, like, I think uh, this year, no brand new clubs. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think pretty standard. I think we've kind of restabilized, certainly that. And then some clubs don't show up, you know, for a few years and then come back. And then I think in the last few years, because we had a board member move to Las Vegas, we got Snafu back yep. in the mix, which was super cool because they had been born many, many years oh, ago yeah. and they finally came back. So it's very cool to see clubs that have maybe maybe their club died a little bit, maybe got a little dormant, no one really active, and then they then they find us online. Uh, if those looking, Cal Homebrewers on Instagram, Cal Homebrewers on Facebook, we don't Cal really Homebrewers. do Twitter. Cal Homebrewers.org. We don't really use Twitter, or whatever. Uh, no TikTok yet, but you know. They find us like, oh, this fest, cool, let's go, let's buy them. Like, yeah. And if you're a club out there, especially if you're listening to this outside of California, maybe you're thinking, oh, wow, what is this event? You know, anyone, any homebrewer can attend. You got to register online, of course, and, and all those things. But if you want to pour, you know, reach out to us. We'll work with you. I mean, you don't have to bring all your kegs and set, that, set anything up, but, you know, there is space. You know, me and Drew are, we'll describe it to you right now. There's space, you know, for a few more clubs to set up a booth and we'll figure it out. So, yeah, dude, we could get another 10 in here. We could get another 10 brewers in here easily. So, yeah, get, rid, get rid of the disc golf thing over there. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple things to fix. You know, we'll talk to 
the KOA, of course, you know. Um, but, you know, don't we, while it is a celebration of Southern California and that's homebrew scene, I mean, we do want to encourage people to attend from out of town, out of state. And even if, if your club is like, hey, if we're gung ho to, to serve, come on out, talk to us. We're willing to, we're willing to work with you. Well, and the thing I've noticed, so for people who've never been here before, most of the clubs, they're set up like nice fancy booths with a little bar, you know, and it's anywhere from like four taps to, you know, 40. And people are just going kind of crazy. But the one thing I've also noticed is more and more clubs are setting up sort of ancillary bottle bars. Yes, yes. So yeah, yeah. So a lot of people, they can you keg and stuff, but like, oh, I got a special bottle of something. Let me serve that. So there's clubs that do double booths. If you have a lot of clubs like the Falcons, Vibe, um, we'll set up a double booth because you have so many taps. And what we've done, and what I've done in the past, I know Drew had done this in the past, you know, do open up special bottles at special times like Tap Takeover. So the Vibe, my homebrew club, Ventura Independent Beer Enthusiast, we used to do the Hour of Sour where we release a beer at a certain hour of the day and only serve sour, wild, mixed fermentation beers for an hour. Going to do special stuff because we want to make it, it is a whole day event. For those listening, it's been a half hour and it goes till 9 p.m., right? Yeah. So it's just 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. We're going to go to 9 p.m. So you got to have to vary the day up a little bit. It's a nice it's a nice marathon. Make you sure want to, again, it is not a sprint. Do not run to the mead booth. Do not down eight meads. You don't want to be that guy, and I've seen that guy. We had to wake that guy up last year. So There's always that guy every well, year. That guy, that gal, that person, yeah. yes, that'll happen. But it's your first fest. You know, I give you a, I give you a waiver. But well, every, every time I'm here at the fest, I always talk to the first aid people, the medics that we have on, online here, and the security guys, and my greeting to them is always, I hope you have a boring day. <laughs> but I, I love it because, yeah, like the, the Falcons, you know, we have one of our guys is a, a master mead maker. And he couldn't be here today, but he's like, oh, here, here's 24 bottles of mead, and, you know, go have four. You know. <laughs> so now we have a mead bottle bar, and, you know, it's just fun. Yeah. And just looking around real quick, you know, I know a lot of people, when we're talking about the professional brewing world, yeah. we, we keep talking about the IPAization of everything. Yeah. And one of the things I love here is, yeah, there's a ton of IPAs here, but I'm seeing way more beers that, that you don't see anymore at yeah. a commercial level. Like, you know. A mild or dunkle or yeah. bock or you know, it's just kind of nice to see well, one of the enjoyments. Well, well, that's the consistency of home brewing is its very is variability. Yep. Its consistency is that you're always going to find what people want to drink, not what they want to pay for. Right. Because if I want to drink a mild, I'm going to make the best mild. If I want to drink a Kolsch, a true Kolsch, I'm going to make a Kolsch at home. I'm not going to go find it on the shelf because it's probably not going to be that fresh. Though to be fair, those have gotten better. Imports have gotten a lot better in the last few years. So it's kind of a old wives tale kind of thing like oh it's all the beers old and stale but if you want it fresh you want the best now don't get it wrong there's still plenty of ipas out here you're going to find every flavor color character of ipa but you're still going to find fantastic of every style you you find a lot of the things that you just you don't find anymore at the commercial level because they're not commercially viable yeah yeah unless unless you're willing to hold on to the beer for six months exactly yeah um but yeah i gotta say today glorious day perfect day we're we're surrounded by the, the hills of temecula Got all the sage and the lavender, uh, you know, blowing through. Which Everyone's is allergies are just getting flared up. Oh yeah, this is going to be a fun day. And like, like I said, the mayhem is just starting. We got, we got a couple of talks today, right? Yep. So yep. Who's going on right now? So this is uh, Dr. Sylvie from Lalaman talking about new yeast stuff. Absolutely fantastic uh, talk going on right now. And then we have Julia Hers from the AHA getting going to talk about what's hot and home bringing in a little bit. There we go. Yeah, and, and people will hear from Julia in just a little bit because of course I can't have a microphone not wander up to Julia. Yeah. 
So what are you what are you looking forward to the end of the day? No, I'm looking forward to the raffle. We're doing a big raffle this year. We call it the boil over. We'll give away the uh, CHA Club of the Year. We'll announce that, and we'll do a big raffle. So if you've not attended the event before, we get uh, beer and donations and, and all types of things. And this year is cool because we went really hard. We called a lot of people, and we got two whole homebrew systems, so a whole uh, three-vessel three propane system and a whole electric system all the way down to fermentation. Uh, we have a 1,000 pounds of malt. From a malt, malting vendor, uh, we got you know, yeast and beer and all this type of stuff. So the raffle is really, honestly, I think of the event as obviously the beer being poured. But what I think the kind of crown jewel of the event is this raffle because we give away so much awesome stuff. And the, the vendors are so cool and so nice just to be like, yeah, please take it. So yeah, I was going to say, the, the raffle prizes have definitely been on the upswing in yeah, terms of quality. Absolutely. So, well, look... Again, this happens every year. Yep. So the rubric is, oh, every year with an asterisk, but that's for different podcasts. Uh, every year, it's the first weekend in May, unless that weekend is Mother's Day, then it's the last weekend in April. That's your rubric. Yeah, you, yeah I always go, wait, what's the, okay, yeah, that, that that's when we are. Yes. But it, it's a great time. The one caveat, of course, because of California rules, you do have to, one, be a member of the CHA, yes. which is, what, $10 a $10 year? $10 a year. And get you discounts and all that sort of fun stuff. And then you have to buy a ticket to the festival yep. because it's a members-only festival. Members-only event. We call it a registration. Yep. And, and, uh, yeah. and very importantly, you can't walk up to the booth and buy a ticket. Absolutely not. <laughs> so get your tickets early. This happens every year. It's a fantastic time. Yep. Come on down to Temecula. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> Stick around. We'll be back with more from SCHF. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. With Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a bag of hops, it's nurturing a healthy planet. Yakima Chief Hops has a deep respect for the land that provides a bountiful harvest each year, and they take pride in being advocates of a sustainable, healthy planet. With every hop purchase, you help to support environmental stewardship efforts, such as 134,500 square feet of solar panels, a CO2 recovery system reducing greenhouse gas emissions by more than 50%, and impactful nonprofit partnerships. Sustainability is a journey, not a destination. There is still more work to be done. Follow the journey of Yakima Chief Hops in their annual Corporate Social Responsibility Report at yakimachief.com slash CSR. section, Drew has a chat with Julia Hers, the executive director of the American Homebrewers Association. 
Yeah, so this was kind of funny. Like, Julia, it, okay, just to set the scene for everybody, SEHF happens around a big horseshoe in an open area. There's a pool on one end, and the clubs are around in the horseshoe. And off there by the pool, Julia was in her own little booth right next to where the people were speaking. And not only was she there promoting the HA, talking about HomebrewCon coming up next month, but she was also there brewing a batch of nearly Nirvana pale ale. A little brew in a bag batch on, on, on a little propane burner stove. Just proving you can brew wherever you want. Yeah, if you, if you have the dedication and you want to have some fun, do it. Yep. So sit back, talking to Julia, talk a little bit about Humber Khan, talk about SCHF, and talk about Humbering in the modern landscape. We got, the, we got the, the talk in the background, but I think we'll be fine. So, hi, Julia. Hi, we're live right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking with Andy. And Julia, you're here. This is, a, I think, this is the first time the AHA has been here for a little while, at least. For a little while, but I was here last year. So okay. if you count last year and then before that, but we've had um, Paul Gatza, Steve Parr, yep. people Gary, throughout uh, Gary's the been out here. organization. Yeah, Gary yeah. Glass. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's the first time in a long time I've ever seen a booth, and you're actually brewing. I am going to do a demo brew of the American Homebrewers Association Big Brew Recipe. Which is for technically 2023, today. which is literally today. I mean, like, how cool is that? So, well, see, that's that's always the problem with the the big brew days. At least here in Southern California, we're always looking, but it's Temecula weekend. <laughs> well, uh, my I did get a few kerfuffled emails from people coming to this. I'm like, well, it's been since 1988, and we didn't create National Homebrew Day, which Big Brew honors. Congress did. The U.S. Congress, you know. So it is what it is, but people can brew this amazing nearly Nirvana Pale Ale. It's free on homebrewersassociation.org. We even have um, labels that you can download any time of the year. So if you're if you're not able to do big brew, don't sweat it. Brew it later. Uh, nearly Nirvana worked on for years and years and years by our good buddy Crispy. Yes, Crispy Fry, American Homebrewers Association Governing Committee member. He's brewed this beer. I brewed it twice. He's brewed it more than 90 times. I was, I, I, I've talked with Crispy about this before. And yeah, he's just endless iterations upon iterations upon iterations. Yes, and, it, and essentially, if you look at the recipe, it's very simple, right? It's, it's got several hop additions throughout the boil, but it's, it's not a step mash. It's just a, a single mash, a couple hop additions of Cascade, very clean yeast, you know, West Coast uh, Lollaman yeast. And, you know, rar malt, pale malt, a little bit of, you know, specialty malt. A little bit of crystal for yeah. all the for all the crystal haters out there. Right. <laughs> and then mine's bottle conditioned. I mean, Sierra Nevada still to this day, bottle and can conditions. And if you're an AHA member, you can literally listen to a whole webinar, Zymergy Live, on this, where Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada and Crispy Fry, who created this recipe, discuss it. So you can check that out. Well, and that's a new program that's come, uh, come yes, on the it show, is. right? So yeah. It, it, well, it's monthly. Correct. Monthly that's webinars called Zymergy Live. Um, and it's exclusive to AHA members. We started out with Charlie Papazian, then we had Stan Hieronymus, we've had Dr. Charlie Banforth, um, Ken Grossman, and now upcoming is Sarah Flora. Uh, Ashley Carter will be from Bierstadt in July. So we've, we've, we we can pick. We can go to whoever we want and usually get them, and so we're doing that. So in other words, you've been using a lot of slackers. Mm, well, we've been using our <laughs> lot of influence to get the slackers to actually meet the deadlines to do the webinars. No, that never happens in the beer world. But uh, it's a really great uh, idea. And, of course, people who are members, they can go back and they can watch the sessions Correct. that they missed. Yeah. You don't have to just watch Diamond G Live live. You can go back and, and watch them rebroadcast. Because that's always my problem. Like, I get a notification, like, and I don't see the notification until, like, it's halfway through the, the sure. seminar. I'm like, 
Because of course, who doesn't want to listen to you know Charlie talk about beer or Ken and yeah. you know, find out and, about pale ale? And what's neat about it is it's members interviewing the the luminaries. So you know the governing committee members or I, you know, we're asking the questions. So it's not really a presentation per se. It's more of an intimate conversation with homebrewers in mind, and I, I think the content's really been rewarding, at least for me as a homebrewer, to to listen to them. I have some customers. Are you all thirsty? Yes, it is. As in America. Correct. I came in all the way from Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, I know. Y'all can't see, but I'm 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 commenting for the uh, the microphone here. So we're in my American Homebrewers Association booth area, and I'm serving the Nearly Nirvana, and we have some lingerers watching the two of us talk. <laughs> Mount lingerers. Might be thirsty. Well, here, uh, speaking of thirsty, but, uh, yeah, how about you pour me? Can I? Yes. I'm going to put this down. So, All right. There. And for the listeners out there, uh, Julia's using these big, glorious, blue, grolshy, flip-toppy type bottles. They're absolutely sparkling sapphire. Yeah, cobalt blue, amazing bottles. Personally took the labels off them myself. <laughs> What? Yeah, you're going to love this. Well, I was going to say the very first thing you get out of it is cascade, cascade, yeah. cascade. It's very, it's a, again, it's very approachable. Mine came out a little hazy. Mm-hmm. Well, but you've also been transporting the bottles and their, their bottle Truly, conditions. Truly, so. like putting it in weird ice buckets that I flew out to. So, yeah, but I'd like to see it a little clearer. Um, well, I think if we tried it next to Sierra Nevada, it, it's, it's, it's showcasing very well to be in the same spectrum. Well, and it's it's definitely uh, it's paler than Sierra Nevada pale ale. Yes, which, you're right. It's not as much color. Very very yeah. well nailed. Yep. Yeah, because I mean it's the Simpsons light in the in the recipe that's called for. It's supposed to say uh-huh. like a C60. Uh huh. But no, I mean it, the the smell is wonderful. Yeah, and Chris, it's just cascade. Crispy's recipe comes out um, with a final gravity that gives you a higher ABV, right? Um, so it's wait, not. Wait, homebrewers Humber, kind of stepping on the gas a little. Yeah, yeah and yeah, and his 90 plus times he brewed it. I'm like Crispy, it's not. Same ABV, same IBUs. It's more IBUs, more ABV, and he's like, eh, that's how I do it. (laughs) This is is how I roll. Come on, the guy's name is literally Crispy Fry. Of course he's going to do something weird. Yeah, he's been amazing. Yeah, really, really, so fun. I mean, as a national organization, having membership voice is really key. And there's a whole other era. Like, I talk to people a lot about the past of the AHA. I'm here to say the future of the AHA is us and me and you and I and everything we want to do to take homebrewing to the next level. And so that's where I've been having a lot of fun is talking to people about their innovations, where are they going with their equipment. And I feel like the DIY kind of mindset of our culture, this generation of homebrewers, is taking more um, flight. We've got a lot more mead makers, a lot more cider makers, a lot more people dabbling in fermented foods. And frankly, we've got a lot of the same equipment already to use our, our stuff. Well, and I remember back when I was on the governing committee, we kept talking about, okay, well, you know, look, we have this whole generation that's coming up that it's a maker-oriented generation. It's not the same sort of thing as like, you know, you know I'm a homebrewer, you know, tried and true, and that's my that's my identity, right? Then now it's like, no, I do this and this and this, and I make all of this. And so it's interesting to see, like, one what you do with an audience that isn't necessarily, like, as religiously focused on this one topic. Uh, as like older numbnuts like me are, uh, 
but how you capture that and also how you use that energy that they're going to bring bring in other ideas. Yeah. So it's always yeah. fun. Absolutely. I mean, anyone that reads Zymergy magazine, and if you're HA member, you will get it. Um, we regularly have not just mead, cider recipes, but, I mean, fermented food recipes galore, mm-hmm. cheese making and the like. Um, I've got a batch of pickles going right now in my special fermentation yeah. Crab. Way to go. Way to go. I just got my hop shoots, actually, because okay. uh, it's oh. spring. And they're oh, in the and, fridge. And, I want to pickle them. Oh, I was going to say, if people haven't tried pickle hop shoots, they're, they're surprising. They're super fun. And this is the time of year. As long as you clip them off, they're, like, no, not longer than, like, 10 inches because then they get fibrous and ropey. Mm-hmm. You can really enjoy them. It's kind of like asparagus in that same texture. Yeah. Why? What? What's the problem? We, we just had somebody on their camp chair go uh, um, ass over tea kettle. Uh, I this, think that was just an innocent fall, though. This, oh, yeah, no. But it's this, early this, in the day. This happens at first. Um, oh, yeah. that's a, Look at that chair. Yeah, that, no, that's not a very practical chair. Um, <laughs> well, the, the, the pickled hop shoots, that reminds me of... Being in Belgium, going to Hamel, to, to Hamelhof and Watu, and that was one of their one of their specialties was these pickled hop shoots paired with rabbit and a lambic. Uh, wonderful meal. Wow. I, I would highly recommend that to everybody. Not exactly available to everybody, but at least hey. Uh, but you know, it, it's good to see where fermentation is. I'm happy to see Andy and I were talking about how this year the festival seems to be you know really sort of more vibrant there are more people out now obviously now that we've gone gone through the whole pandemic and more people are coming the other thing is i don't know how much of a chance you've had to go look around at what everybody's pouring i know it's still early times yeah i haven't walked around at all except for mike pages from quaffs oh my god julia's child he named it after me it's a um it's kind of a a stronger english bitter it's gorgeous that's what's in my glass right now there we go but i I will say one of the things Andy and I were talking about it, and I'd love to know to see if you see the same thing. Is we're in the commercial world, we're seeing a lot of people doing a lot of IPAs because that's what sells to people. Yeah. The nice thing here at the Homebrew Fest is being able to see, like, oh, mild, a dunkel, a double, a, you know, a Scottish ale, a strong extra bitter, you know, like things that you don't necessarily see all the time on the commercial level just because they don't sell. A, a thousand percent. And you know, um, being the host of National Homebrew Competition, which will the final round will happen during HomebrewCon in June in San Diego. The stats from last year had Pilsner category yep. as number one entered category, yep. right? Like, <laughs> that's amazing, right? And and Belgian Strong Ale was number two top entered category. Yep. IPA wasn't until three. Right. And then you had fruit beer. And, so, and I remember when I first started looking at competitions, yeah, it was American Pale Ale was always the, the big one because that was everybody's beginning homebrew kit. Mm-hmm. And now that seems to have changed a lot. So it's really interesting to see. And, of course, as you said, this is sort of a preview trip because you're scouting ahead, you know, like, what, 90 miles south of us. Absolutely. I would hope every single person here that is at this festival, which they have to be members of, you all have to be members of the California Homebrewers Association to attend this SoCal Fest. Um, I would hope you all come to, to San Diego, June 22nd, 24th, for HomebrewCon, and um, go to be a part of the who's who, including this guy here, our host, um, of uh, homebrewing, because it's going to be off the charts amazing. Yeah, you can you can go here, Denny and I go uh, pontificate on how to use hops in fun ways for the West Coast IPA and not let all the hazy people have all the fun ways. Yes, and you were supposed to talk do that talk last year in Pittsburgh, but now yeah. we get you at least, and things are different, which yeah. is good. The health issues last year, unfortunately. You're back on track, though. You're, yep. you're showing up, and you're out, and you're going to be speaking at HomebrewCon, and we hope everybody joins us. It'll be, you know, 
thousand, two thousand plus people, um, really big deal. Well, as as Denny has said many times, uh, town and country where where we're going to be is probably his favorite venue for us yes. to have the conference at because it's sort of part hotel, part theme park, part resort, part just hey, let's go hang out by the pool and have beer. Yes, and so HomebrewCon has happened at the town and country in San Diego before. They have redone it. There's a lazy river now. And the way we're dubbing HomebrewCon this year, if you've been before, is fermentation vacation. We're starting sessions later in the morning. Um, a little more breaks, certainly on Saturday, is not as stacked. You will have a, a wonderful, restful time, um, unless you stay up too late, and then that's your fault. Can I grab an inner tube and go down the Lazy River with a pint of homebrew? I, I'm not here to say yes or no. I'm sure that you could probably get away with it. No glass in the Lazy River, though. Yes, glass glass bad in water. <laughs> All right, well, Julie, before I let you go back to talking to people and getting on with your brew, uh, by the way, I think this is the first time I've seen a brew here at Fest in years. Yeah, I had to kind of use my influence and sweet charm to be like, hey, it's a festival. Can I please demonstrate brewing? And this is how we worked it out. And I'm guessing you're going to do extract? No, I'm doing all grain. I've done I've done on my camper stove, my A-liner camper stove, the in and out propane stove. I've done one gallon all grain several times, and it's brewing a bag, keeping it simple. Um, I don't have to worry about with this nearly Nirvana. That's what I'm going to brew. A series of step mashes. It's one temperature. Hopefully, I hit my temperatures. I flew out a thermometer. We'll see how it goes. And uh, hell yeah, anyone can brew all grain stovetop too in your kitchen. You don't have to have one of those big setups if you don't want to. And if you have a place where you have power, you can even just do it with electric induction. Yes, that would be cool. Wish I had that today. All right, well, good luck with the brew. Good luck with getting ready for San Diego. Thanks for chatting. And I will see you, at the very least, in June. Awesome. Yes, see everybody. Hopefully, homebrewcon.org is the website. And join us at homebrewersassociation.org for the AHA. There you go. Thank you, ma'am. And when we come back, Drew's going to be talking Lambic. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Up your IPA game with homebrewing techniques, craft beer clone recipes, and a free book from the American Homebrewers Association. Push your brews to the limits with Brewing Eclectic IPA by Dick Cantwell. Or dive into the science and history with IPA, Brewing Techniques, Recipes, and the Evolution of India Pale Ale by Mitch Steele. Join for one year and receive your choice from 60 different brewing books. Head to homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for offer details. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. This spring, Y-Yeast is featuring two yeast strains that have revolutionized craft brewing, 1056 American Ale and 1318 London Ale 3. These legendary strains have shaped many beers over the decades, and the king of craft beer itself, the IPA. From iconic American IPAs to New England styles, these brewmaster's favorites are available year-round in the Activator Smack Pack system for your next brew day. Our featured strains are complemented with a limited release of 1217 PC West Coast IPA, a yeast with balanced neutral character and a good flocculation, and 2575 PC Kolsch 2 for brewing a German IPA or keeping it traditional with a rich profile and soft malt finish for Kolsch. Available now through June. 
Head over to yeastlab.com for our latest brewing advice and more info on this spring's legacy curation. Let's get brewing. For the final segment here, Drew gets sour. <laughs> well, for people who remember last year, there was the epic three-part, almost never-ending series of me talking with Derek Springer and Andy Gamlin of the Society of Barley Engineers sort of side club project, the Society du Lambique, and you know, talking about how they have pulled off this whole crazy project of making multiple Lambics for you know years and years and years now. Their booth is always a must-visit for me whenever I'm at SCHF because it's celebrating Lambic, and they do a really good job with it. Boy, so, do they ever. Yeah. And so what you're going to hear now is me talking with Andy to find out what exactly they did for this year's Society du Lambic booth and why they had two goozes and not just the one. So now we've gone from Julia, who's about to get brewing a pale ale, to... Andy, and Andy, we spent many an episode talking with you about this, but this is actually the time when all that hard work comes to fruition, the Society du Lambic Bar. This is our opportunity to share to share this uh, these creations with everybody here. So we, we really we, we get excited about this, being able to come out here and share everything. So how, how many Lambics do we have today? We've got 13 of them on tap right here, and there's a few other uh, in reserve, so we'll swap a few other things in. Uh, but 13 taps that are just dedicated to Lambics. So I'm looking here, we got two different goozes or hooses or however you want to say it. Pesh, Cassis, Blackberry Lemon, Raspberry Lambic, Thai Guava, okay. Pineapple Pomegranate, Poblana Lambic, Sour Side of the Tropics, Pucker Passion, Judas Red Baron Peach Lambic with Cinnamon, and Passaberry, so Passion Flower and Strawberry. That's a creative batch, and to remind people, this all starts with the same word, right? Starts all with the same wort. They might be from uh, different batches and things like that, uh, that people have different barrels. Right. So they, you know, which in itself, you know, causes some difference between them. Well, yeah, the, and, um, and just to remind people, if you want to go listen back, there's three episodes dedicated to all of that about all of the different steps in to get this club project to work and what people are doing precisely in order to end up with their beers. Yeah, and if you listen back to that episode that we recorded together... You know, we, we talk about the uh, Lambic blending process that we have, and we talk about how we we get together, we have the Lambic, we blend it as a club, and then we uh, basically have a little mini competition to decide which one's going to come out and represent our club. And this last year, this year, we had a dead tie. And that's so, the for the two well, gooses. Yes, so what do you do? You have a dead tie. Well, we just couldn't pick one, so we decided to take both of them out here. So we blended them both up, and so we've got two gooses up here, and we'll let you guys all be the judge about which one you think is the best. Well, yeah. here, well, here let's get let's get a little goose yeah, uh, okay. action going. Let's see what we're doing. 
Norris. All right, Andy making the slide across the bar like a professional bartender. Playing the uh, bars have been specially waxed for the occasion so we can slide the glasses right across them. So There you go, the world's best uh, game of tapper. Yeah, there you go. So this this one right here is the Banker Bell Goose. And we call it Banker Bell Goose because Chris Banker and John Bell were the ones that that were the blenders for this one right here. Ooh. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, so right off the bat, like, okay, we get nice little lactic and citric sourness. We get a little bit of that kind of earthy, funky... Yeah almost sour peach character, like peach rings in a way, but I'm not getting a lot, I'm not getting like the aggressive, like the more aggressive acidic uh, yeah. type characters, like it's it's relatively soft, but I mean it's still, uh, by the way, I'm saying relatively soft, that relatively is carrying a lot of weight. Yeah, I think a lot of times the tendency for people when they're making sours are to make them, you know, you know, pucker beers, you know, real yeah. overly puckering. And so well, it's the, the sour but, version of all the IPA, uh, IPA I've used. Right. But when you go and you try some of the classics, you know, you'll find out that these beers, while they are sour, they have a softness to them. And so a lot of times uh, when we're blending, that's 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 the kind of thing that we're that we're going for is to have that sourness, have the complexity in there, but also have some softness built into it. Now, remind me, the barrels that you guys are using, they're neutral by the point that you guys are using them, right? So, yes. Because um, it's interesting, because I do get, like, in the very back end, I get, like, a nice little cinnamon and sandalwood uh, type character. They, they still have some uh, differences between the different barrels, but a lot of this stuff has been from the cultures just, so the cultures live in the barrels. Oh. And so it's their home. You know, so you're going into their home, and you're going to make a beer within their home, and everybody's home is different. There you go. So... Yeah. So I mean, I can see why that uh, why that would get picked, but let's see its competition that end up All right, in a tie. Let's do that. Now Andy's running back behind the bar to get another beer. Nice part is that we can go the full slide. Here we go, Tapper. Hey! We got we got a little leveling problem on the on the board here. It, it slides backwards just a touch. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, we have a some uneven ground here that we're trying to. What, at a comedy? Yeah, at a festival? Who knew? Yeah. All right, so uh, who's this goose by? So this one we call uh, a hammer ski. And so this was uh, 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 Chris. Uh, Wait, hold on. Oh. Thank you. Uh, there we go. Try that. Chris uh, Van Hammer and uh, uh, Louis Ilieski okay. put this one together. So just sort of threw their names up Ooh. there and. Blended them together. Blended them together just like we blended the lambics together. We blended their names together. Yeah. Okay, and so in contrast to the to the previous one, the Banker Bell one, this is actually softer. Like it's still got a nice acid character to it, but the acid character is kind of consistent all the way through. I don't get that little nutty note that I did in the in the Banker Bell. Uh, still getting a little peach ring character, but I think that runs through a lot of your lambics. Yes, yeah, surprisingly, these were the the final blends came out. They were there was one. Uh, one uh, beer in common that got blended between them, but most of them were different different beers, different uh, lambics from different different kegs that were that were blended. And what I get with this one is again, we're talking about that wood character earlier. Yeah, I get a nice solid oak character actually through yeah. this, but it's it doesn't carry the the cinnamon sandalwood of the previous one. So it's it's a completely different spin on that same idea. But yeah. like I could see. Like the Banker Bell one, I could see like you having a glass of, 
having this one coming back to the Banker Bell and then having more of this because, like, to me, this one's actually more approachable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they're just slightly different presentations on what the idea of Lambic is. Yeah. So that's very Interesting cool. what you can do with that, right? All right. And again, this is all done out of the annual project. Uh, yes. When did you guys blend these up uh, this year? When did we do what? When did you do the blend? Oh, when did we do the blend? We did it in uh, January. Well, okay, wait. So we we uh, had the blending competition in January, and we got the formulation together, and then the actual blend was put together uh, a, a few weeks before the uh, the festival with the barrels there. So it may have changed slightly from even from from the time at which the blending was 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 chosen, just because everything is living and everything is changing all the time. Well, and what's interesting is now that I've finished the sample. Uh, the the very final finish after not having like another sip on it is I get sort of almost and this is going to sound absurd sour grape fun dip you know the fun dip candies yeah a little yeah. bit of that, a little bit of that that sour grape type powder nice and that's and that's the yeah that's character. a good descriptor <laughs> okay now we got to try something pretty wild all right let's because okay, I mean forward. we're on the wild side right here we'll try something a little bit different all right boys and girls do I fear something different I think not. But these are brave words for a man who has not had whatever the surprise is. All right, Andy, what do I got? Okay, this one right here is a poblano lambic. And now before you scream, it's not going to be, a, you know, spicy, hot, spicy. It's got poblano in the nose to it. It's got some character of the, uh, you know, uh, er- some earthy uh, pepper, coffee type character to it. But not the heat that you would get from a from a pepper. Well, I mean, the good thing is poblano is not a very spicy pepper to start with. But yeah, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the nose. Yeah, the nose is, really is just that wonderful poblano. Uh, poblano, like like just after you finish dicing up and you just toss it into the pan, yeah, and the heat activates it and you start yes. to get that aroma. That's exactly the aroma that so you're that, getting. So that that poblano was uh, roasted, and I, I guess where this came from, their origination was it was we started with the barrel. That was um, from uh, uh, a Victoria Sea Barrel from Ballast uh, um, Point. Point, and we got a hold of all these barrels, and so we thought, well, well, why not just see what happens if we put some lambic in here? And so we did. We put some lambic in there, and it came out um, because, of course, they have coffee in there and roasted mm-hmm. malts in there, and we, you know, we cleaned the barrel out, but everything's built into the wood, and it it had an interesting uh, uh, pepper flavor to it. Because so you, and, and the pepper was coming from the coffee, not from real peppers. Sure. But the idea then was to, well, let's play on that. Let's let's really add some pepper to it. And so we added some uh, uh, poblano to it to really, you know, kind of fill in the fill in the story. Well, and what's nice is while you get the poblano aroma, you don't get that. I know it sounds funny to say, but you don't get that jalapeno thing. Yeah, you know, like a lot of like a lot of coffee beers carry that jalapeno thing, the methoxypyrazine. Uh, don't know why I know that compound and why I remember it, but I do. But uh, you don't get that green pepper jalapeno thing in here, but you still get the poblano. Yeah, and it very clearly, if you know your chili peppers, reads and, as poblano. And an important piece of this also is that we've left the uh, complexity of the the land. This is a lambic blend, so mm-hmm. essentially it's kind of like a goose also. But it's uh, the complexity of the beer is still there, so this is layered on top of it rather than just covering it all up. And and you know there may there there'll be some other lambics that we've created where we go real heavy on you know raspberry or, right, or cherry or something like that, are... and they'll tend to cover up more of the la- lambic character than 
than this one uh, right here. This one's a little bit more delicate. Yeah, the, the poblana on this is all front-loaded. It's all in the aroma yeah. in the very front four palette. Right. And then when you get to the back end of it, it suddenly becomes all that, right. uh, all that lambic. And, yeah. Uh, very, uh, again, actually harder than that the Hammerski uh, goose in terms of the sourness character. And then it just kind of hangs in there and goes all the way through. So very, very cool. But... And how did you you know how the poblano got added? You said it was roasted. Yeah, roasted poblano. Um, it's sitting in the keg right now. Okay, so it's so still on. It's, it's it's but you know it's, I think all the flavor has been. Yeah. It's not going to like next week be twice as strong or anything like that. It's pretty much saturated. Boys and girls, it's been keg chilled. <laughs> yes, so it was roasted, uh, and uh, and then put into a. Uh, a mesh bag sunk down to the bottom of the keg, and then it sits there while it's being served. Yeah, and if, yeah. and if it were with a hotter pepper like a habanero, for instance, it would keep growing in heat uh, over time. Well, you you take the seeds out. You take all the the, the you know basically the spine of it, yep. so the the hot part. So you're even if you were to do a jalapenos, you would do it the same way. Yep. But you probably would get more heat out of a jalapeno than well, and than I'm thinking, you would even I'm thinking like a habanero. even taking that out. Yeah. And, the, and you know there's some idiot out there who's probably going to be like, I want to throw a Carolina Reaper in it. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're just going to get a lot of really com- uh, competing flavors, I yeah. think. And well, again, I love I love this project. I lo- again, that was the reason why I loved having those episodes where we talked about it, because this is, I mean, one, this is utterly insane, just <laughs> from the amount of work it is. But also I just love the fact like that you're able to, from this group brew end up with all of these different lambics and, and be able to present something that again you don't really see that much outside of you know homebrew or the belgian world so what would be insane is if you tried to do this individually as a homebrewer because you just think of all the things that we're doing like building up all these different cultures and the barrels and all this stuff it would just be nuts to try to do it on your own but as a club you can divide up some of those some of those tasks the responsibilities and and suddenly, you have a lot more power in being able to create something that's really unique. So you can go do special things if you know you're piece it out, and different people do parts of the put parts of the puzzle together. Well, and you can play to people's strength, right? You know, you could have one person who, you know, like yeah, with the goose competition, you could have somebody who knows how to how to do the, that goose one in, in the right way, and you have other people who just have a certain touch with fruit or with spice or something else, who. It's something magical and unknowable in their palate that makes them go, yeah, I can do this one. You know, so it's it's good because then you can, I mean, look, we live in a civilization. You rest on people's collective strengths. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Andy, any other, any other of the lambics that we should try? Well, you probably want, you should try one of the fruit ones, I suppose. Huh. Uh, maybe the, uh, I would say like the one I've been really enjoying is a cassis one. Maybe okay. we'll get cassis? one of those. Oh, let's do the, yeah, let's let's do do the cassis. That. I'm going to rinse your glass out because you're going to yeah. poblano's going to... I was going to say, yeah. Poblano will hang. Although, to be fair, cassis is a very strong flavor. Oh. We are having fun. No, you can't. Okay, fair enough. Um... Yeah, uh, give me the 14. 14. My bad. Tapper! All right, Andy's slid me a glass of purple stuff. And I remind people what cassis is because I don't think a lot of Americans really know it. So it's a, it's, it's a black currant. It's something that you'll see uh, in some of the, you know, traditional beers that they'll be when we're adding flavors because it's something that's that's available out in Europe and so 
Um, well, and, and it's a, the reason it's not really known that well here is because cassis forever and a day was banned from being imported because it carried a disease. I think that impacted elm trees. One of the trees. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. that's good. Good information. Yeah. It only recently became available okay. again in the U.S. That's the reason why. That's the reason why we don't know cassis as well here in, in the that U.S. That makes that makes sense. So, so, so th- this is an example of something that, as you look at it, it's it's deep red uh, color. I mean, almost like a, almost like a. It's kind of like it's beet a very, juice. It's a very yeah. So um, what you'll see w- with this beer is that it's a uh, got a flashy red color. Something you wouldn't paint a car this color. It's just too, just it's too, too much of a like a crimson flashy red color. And um, uh, but it's an example of now when you can you put a heavier layer of fruit on top of a lambic, maybe still have some of the complexity to it, but the fruit has taken a dominant dominant uh, portion of the flavor. Yeah, and if you know black currant or cassis, you, you recognize that flavor. It's like acidic, it's bright, it's berry, it's sour, uh, and a little bit peppery. Yeah. And, but in this case, yeah, you don't get as much of the lambic character, but that's intentional. Well, hey, so, Andy, thank you so much for uh, giving me a taste of lambics. And we only did, the, what, three, four, no, three, no, four. We did four. God, it's, it's way too early to forget how many I've done. But but uh, what do you think has surprised you the most? Oh, uh, in terms of our selection that we have this time? Yep. I'm, I think this uh, this one with the... Uh, there's a there's a passive berry passion fruit with strawberry lambic, and it's got some strawberry character to it. It's kind of interesting. Interesting uh, one there. I don't know. Maybe the guava. The guava seems to... Maybe that's not a surprise because... We've had that in the past, and it seems to work really well in, in lambics. Well, because well, I mean, well, it's a lot of those fruit flavors and a lot of the kind of the tropical acids, and yeah, we play right in. But uh, I have to say again, I love this as a project because it is something, as we said, that a club can do a lot easier than an individual can do, and yet you still get such a wonderful expression of different people's thoughts on what it should be. <laughs> Yeah, and it gives everybody a chance to be real creative, and so that's one of the things that we like. And so you, yes, yeah, so you, we, we go through the work to make all this stuff and get something that has very classical flavor to it, and then now you get to be creative. And what, what are you gonna, what are you gonna add to it? What are you gonna do to it? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, keep on keeping on, buddy. All right. And, and have a good fest. Thanks, Drew. Well, there you go. That's SCHF. I, I still think one of the most impressive things about the Society of Lambic is not, not just the fact that they continue to do this project again and again and again and successfully pulling it off, but also that they get to teach their members that sort of weird, mostly unknown to homebrewers art of blending. So always a great fun to see them. Always a great fun to see everybody at SCHF. Again, like we said up in the front and talking with Andy, it was 40 some odd clubs of homebrewers with pop-up tents and booths and come have my beer and, you know, we're pouring weird things at four o'clock. We're doing this and lots of late night parties because it's a campground in the middle of Southern California during a homebrewers festival. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, uh, one thing I've been meaning to ask, did you guys have good weather this year? We did. It, It was so, it was so weird because two days before the festival started, it was cold and it was rainy and everybody's looking around going, really? This is going to be it. And it has rained a couple of times at SCHF, but very rarely. I think in, I've been going since sometime around 2001, and I think there's only been one year when there was rain, and we had to push all the water off the tent. Ooh. Um, yeah, that was fun. But two days before, rainy, cold, gray, and then the 
day before that Friday, when actually the festival starts because there's a pro brewers night, um, the day that happened, sun comes out, bright blue crisp sky, and it's like a perfect 70 degrees. It was oh, that's great. It was the perfect sort of weather to spend all day outside drinking beer. So absolutely great time once again. Southern California Homebrewers Festival. It happens every year. Uh, usually the last weekend of April, first weekend of May, Andy gave the rules and when I talked to him and all you have to do is pay 10 bucks to be a member of the CHA and then you buy a ticket or if you do what I do, I volunteer. So instead of paying for a ticket, I trade two hours of my time and I actually do a shift and you know, cause after all they need people to help. So, <laughs> I, so I'd rather volunteer and be able to make sure that the party still happens, but <laughs> really every year. Calhomebrewers.org. It's a hell of a time. It's one of the best things, I think, in homebrewing in the U.S. So there you go. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrewing channel. You can find me hanging around the uh, AHA discussion forum. You can find me hanging around Facebook. You can find me hanging around all sorts of unsavory places. Any homebrew club ever known to mankind. <laughs> if you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of us each individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can always get in touch with us by sending us a text or leaving us a voicemail at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. (laughs) 